Welcome to the Faith for All podcast. This week, we are presenting a Faith for All discussion podcast where random members of Cross of Glory discuss a topic that we find interesting, spiritually uplifting, or generally important. Today's topic of discussion is God and guns. Let's join the discussion. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Faith for All Podcasts. Uh, tonight, we're going to be doing a podcast on God and guns. So we have a, a good group here tonight. So if you'd like to start introducing yourself, my name is Jeff Wanderson. I'll be your moderator. My name is Todd Mazzera. I'm the music director for uh, Cross of Glory Church. Hi, Dennis Tanrakulu, member of Cross of Glory since uh, 1999, I believe. And um, that's it. Jennifer Berg, um, I've been a member of Cross of Glory for just about a year now. This is Katie Woodall, and I've been a member of Cross of Glory since uh, 2002, and I'm a retired pediatric nurse. Um, I'm Dana O'Brien. I'm the pastor here at Cross of Glory. I've been here about seven years. I've uh, done a couple of these podcasts. They're all really enlightening, at least to me. Okay, so where we're going to start, uh, the LCA has got a draft of a social message on gun-related violence and trauma. So we're going to start with there with that. Um, I'll put a, a link to that in the show notes so anyone who's listening can go ahead and look that up. So I guess the first question is, is this something that Christians should be aware of? Is this something Christians should worry about? Gun violence? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, gun violence affects us all. It's um, something that, um, it, it, you know has a huge social impact. I, you know, that's, that's almost a silly question to ask, you know, um, uh, gun violence does have uh, huge ramifications in every, every community, not just in, uh, communities that are, um, considered high crime or high risk areas, but, you know, um, every school district, uh, that does a shooter, um, uh, preparation, every, college and university that has uh, metal detectors at the doors, every concert you go to where they have to check you, it affects us all in some way, shape, or form. So, um, comments? I agree. <laughs> well, well, well. Dennis always agrees. I'm just getting warmed up. Um, yeah, and, and remember, our, our two things. Number one, um, as people of faith, as Christians, our faith, our, our identity— as children of God, made in the image of God, um, affects every aspect of our lives and every aspect of the world. And therefore, our faith has to, has to impact how we think theologically and practically about guns and gun violence. Uh, second, we are called to love God and love our neighbor. And as long as our neighbors are, are suffering due to gun violence, it, it actually, I'll say it doesn't even matter if we personally are impacted by it, although I think everybody is. If, if no, for no other reason than the fear that, that, that uh, it, occur, it occasions. But if our neighbors are impacted, that's enough to cause us to say, if my, my neighbor's harmed, then this is a concern for me too. Mm -hmm. Dennis, do you agree? I do agree. Sorry. I do agree. There we go. Sorry. I think even if you wanted to ignore the, any governmental or policy or any of that sort of thing, just the calling to care for others and understanding that a lot of the root causes of these violence, um, of these attacks is, is something that, you know, there's usually these people have, you know, mental health issues or other kind of issues in their, 
in their life and trauma, we're called to, to care for all of these people. So even if you wanted to set yourself completely apart from any kind of political discussion on it, just the societal impact and how we can help people with a message, you know, like we have the good news to tell. And with, you know, if people can see that and hear that and have hope in their life, that can at least impact on the front end, the root cause of things. Well, that, that, in my, okay. That, well, that in mind, um, we talk often about, we live in a broken world that despite our, mm, desire for um, a, a situation where we could simply say no more guns and then that would be oh, all fixed uh, or no more violence or whatever the answer would be. That's not that's not the reality of it. The reality is people uh, and, and reflected in the um, uh, draft that the ELCA po uh, uh, published, people are increasingly worried about other people having guns and therefore arming in in uh, response, arming as a method of self-defense, arming in fear. Um, and it, despite the fact that the odds of being shot in a major event or it being shot at all are really low for many of us, um, there's still a significant number of us who own guns with that fear. So taking the whole broken world thought what what's the actual approach to gun violence and resolving or solving or thinking about gun violence as a Christian? Is that a rhetorical question? No, it's it's a question question. Go for it. I've often felt very hopeless about this, actually. Helpless and hopeless because I feel like there is such a uh, disconnect or a division in the country and in, in our culture as to what there is to do about it. I did get filled with some hope when I was preparing for this because I, I did read about some projects that are taking place that are actually impacting gun violence that don't have a political agenda and don't need Congress to pass a law. There's a, the Sandy Hook Foundation that I was reading about that um, has started this anonymous tip line, mm -hmm. and they actually just did uh, released a study um, from uh, North Carolina, where every school district is involved in this. It's called Say, An Say Something Anonymous. It's a reporting system for sixth graders into high school. And they found that um, because North Carolina, every school district is participating in this, they looked over the last four years, and they believe that they stopped at least six school shootings and over 100 suicides. And so when I look at something like that, I feel like, okay, maybe there is actually something that we as Christians, as Americans, as human beings can do that can actually make an impact. In, because I think waiting for politicians and Congress and that to do something about it, uh, we're going to be exactly where we were when Sand the Sandy Hook uh, massacre took place. And mm -hmm. I feel like if... We didn't have a change that came down when first and second graders were being murdered. I don't know what else it would take for us to do something as a nation about this. Well, I think, you know, what I want to say about this is, you know, I read the uh, I read the draft. And as I was reading the draft, I was I was just thinking about there's so many different layers to this issue. 
you know, there's there's the the layer about, you know, the Christian layer and what should we do as Christians. There's the societal layer uh, about what's going on in a bunch of broken homes and, and broken lives. And, you know, you talk about suicides and you, you talk about, you know, maybe kids who spend too much time playing video games who are desensitized to a lot of this stuff. And, you know, they think that, OK, if wait, 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 what? 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 That has totally been debunked. That, that is not a thing. Okay. I disagree. I'm sorry. You're throwing the, I know you disagree, but yours isn't based in science. That's like, well, I disagree with grass being green. Okay. You go on. No. Go, go no, on. no, no. You interrupted me. I lost my train of thought. I'm old. Okay. <laughs> no, but I just think there's there's so many there's so many okay. different um, variations to this. You know, we talk about the political the political side of, of gun violence and and you know what? What do politicians? What can they do? What don't they do? And it, I think it's a it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty complex issue that uh, is there's no easy answer to to any of this really. Have we ever discussed a problem that had an easy answer? It's no fun to discuss a no, problem that no, has an easy no, answer. It, 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 no, 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 no. Really short podcast. Yeah, really. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming. Everybody. Yeah. Um. I, I I liked a couple of things about the social message, and, and you're going to put a link on it, so hopefully some people will read it. The, the first part, I think we all agree, um, they spent maybe more time than necessary uh, emphasizing the trauma and the, the dangers and, and all the, the terrible things that it caused. We all agree on that. Mm -hmm. um, but what I really liked um, was how at least it reminded me, and maybe you guys always think this way, but this is not my first go-to. I mean, this is not where I go initially. In the United States, it's really hard not to think as an individual because that's what we grew up on. Individualism is really, really important in, in our country. And I think it's become more, um, more prevalent, at least more spoken of the last you know, maybe 10 years. But right off the top, this message reminds us that, that as Christians, um, especially as Lutheran Christians, and I'm, I think that this is a view shared by all Christians, we always focus on the neighbor first. We love our neighbor as ourselves. We love our neighbor. And so instead of, so what it does, at least in this message, and I think what it should do for all Christians, is it should reframe our focus from what are my rights and what can I do and do I have a right to carry a gun to what about my neighbor? Um, how does my carrying a gun help my neighbor? And I love the way they drew a distinction between how when you focus on individual rights, you recognize that I can do whatever I want as long as I don't harm my neighbor. Okay, do you remember that part? Mm -hmm. but, but as a Christian, we take it a step further and we are called to think, not only do I, do I have to avoid harm to my neighbor, I have to benefit my neighbor. I have to help my neighbor. I have to affirmatively um, be of use to my neighbor, which, which causes, which puts a, a layer of, of obligation upon us to do something affirmative for our neighbor as opposed to just harming them. Um, and, and I think that when we, when we think of this issue, and if, if we all started thinking of this issue in the context of communal and neighbor, it would be an entirely different discussion. I very much agree with that. And I think that even if we took that a step farther and said like we were going to live that way and think always of how I can help my neighbor, how I can be a benefit. You're not only, I mean, you fix, you could fix some of the gun things, but you're also going to fix some of the root causes of gun things mm -hmm. that we talked about in society. And so, and that's a big shift for Americans, especially because we do have that very individualistic culture and, and a lot of other cultures, you know, particularly I'm, I'm thinking of Japan where I have spent some time, you know, they have a lot more of the greater good culture. So like they're always like that just that's the culture is like, how are you impacting the, 
the group versus the individual. We tend to think the opposite. And it's not necessarily that one is better than the other. I mean, they both have their benefits, but I think perhaps we've taken it so far to the individual now that all all anybody cares about is them or their family, their immediate family and everybody else. Well, too bad about them. And so then you get into these camps of, well, I have guns and I think everybody should be able to because this is what I want and that's all I care about. Or I don't have guns. I think they're terrible. And I think you should have to get rid of yours. And there's probably something in the middle we can come up with, but never if if the two sides can't even speak to each other. That's very true. <laughs> Which is the but, other... Oh, go ahead. Let me... Uh, again, because it's kind of bothering me a little bit, is the the thought is not that... As Christians, we don't aspire to love our neighbors, but a lot of Christians are in fear of their neighbors. And that's what the article does point out is people are not arming in self-defense because of, uh, you know, nature, because of whatever. They're, they're arming in self-defense because they're afraid of their neighbors, afraid of people that are going to come into their neighborhood or live in their neighborhood or will be driving by or whatever. There, there's a definite fear and people feel like, well, if my house gets broken into, what am I to do to save my family? What if somebody comes at us with a gun and people arm? So how do you overcome fear, which is a, a, a basal um, emotion with this kind of higher, you know, uh, expression of love? And, 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 What's one of the most common phrases that we hear in the Bible? Not be afraid. Do not fear. Yeah. And so, and so one question that I think we need to ask ourselves as Christians is where are we putting our trust? Mm-hmm. And for Christians, I think this is an issue of trust. Now, you're not supposed to be stupid and just, you know, walk into, you know, a dangerous war zone um, trusting that God will take care of me. I mean, we're supposed to be prudent, but... But do we place our trust in, you know, our semi-automatic revolver or whatever it is? I don't have a gun, so I don't even know that I've got the right terms here. Um, or, or do we place our, our trust in God, especially in situations where the likelihood of, of having somebody pull a gun on us is relatively small? I mean, I think you're right. Everybody, pretty much everybody is afraid. Many of these fears are not founded in realism. Right. But most, most of these global fears that we talk about, you know, um, going back to, you know, AIDS, going back to just crazy fears, we, we societally, um, socially have these fears that get amplified and spoken back to us and confirmed through various different sources. And they make even something that's mathematically almost impossible seem like, oh, it's going to happen. School shooters, we talk about it all the time, but the odds are really, really not that likely right. uh, that you're going to be in a school shooting or have one in your school. Right. Um, it, it's just not likely to happen. And But every school district has shooter drills, you know, and. But where do we put our trust? Where do we put our faith? In those. What's going to. What's going to. We, we put them in, in, you know, locked doors and drills. Well, but where, right. where should we put it? We should be putting it in God. But yeah. how, do, how do you, you know. How do you bring that together? We should be putting it in God when it comes down to, you know, fear of the uh, COVID vaccine. You know, uh, I mean, there's so many uh, irrational fears that. And oftentimes we know they're irrational and right. we can't we can't do anything about it. And that's and again, that's a that's a prayer. That's a give it up. I mean, that's a, the same question. The same the same answer for that one is the one we use every time we have worries. 
every time, you know, we wake up in the middle of the night and, and are worried about whether something is huge or something is, is small. Um, you know, we, we just have to give that stuff up to God and, and trust that, that, you know, God's with us and God's got this. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say, again, that we're not supposed to take any precautions. At all times, we need to, we need to remember who we are and whose we are. Does that make any sense? It does, but... You don't want to do it. But, uh, you can't do it? Don't talk, no, I don't own a gun. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Does anybody in this group know, does anyone own a gun? Own a gun? So I, I, oh, well, you need and, to jump in then. And I do not own a gun, but I am seriously contemplating. Really, the main thing that has kept me from getting a gun at this point is I won't get it without going for training and, you know, spend some time and be familiar with it. But as someone who's an older woman who is often alone— and we have a place in Michigan and that. Yeah, I worry. I don't go gas in my car during the nighttime anymore because right in my neighborhood, there have been carjackings and armed robberies and that blocks from my house. And I'm sure it's the same blocks from everyone's house here. And it's not like I want to have it concealed and carry and walk around like the Wild West. I do not. But I do feel like maybe God is calling me to take some accountability for my safety and to think about being intelligent about living in a in a dangerous world. I I have a, I have some friends who are either ex police officers or they've had training in in um, you know for companies they've worked for. They carry all the time. We'll go out as couples, and my my friends carrying all the time. And I'm like, why? Because you never know. And I'm like, okay, you know, I respect that. But, you know, to, to the point we made earlier, the chances of something happening are pretty, pretty small. But I will also say there's I won't go to downtown Chicago for fear of being carjacked. I'm, and, you know, my wife it says you can't drive it in the middle of the day. You won't go to downtown. I don't want to no, Why? Why? You hear about you hear about all the down there. Who cares? Well, I do. Uh, you hear about all the carjackings? There were like 1,400 carjackings last year in downtown, in Chicago. I shouldn't say downtown. Yeah, out of how many millions of cars that yeah. go through Chicago? Okay. All right. I, I don't want to be a statistic. Well, see, the thing is people over-exaggerate crimes. Um, for instance, just let's see, where does Illinois rate as far as per capita death rates? Out of fifty states, what where's where's Illinois? Well, like murder from crime or from, like from no uh, firearm death rates oh, okay. for the CDC. I don't know. We're twenty sixth. I know everyone tries to put us in as, the top ten or the, as, even the top five as the state of Illinois or is the, the state, state of, of Illinois? Chicago. It's the, the state Chicago of Illinois, not in the top ten. But I will say, the, Jeff, the city of Chicago isn't even in the top twenty. Yeah, um, Mississippi is number one. Far and away above anything anywhere else in the country because there's a lot of poor and guns are a way of life in the South. And interestingly, um, there was just a study that um, Illinois rated sixth in terms of the um, tightness or severity of our gun control laws. But we live next to Indiana that rates probably like 48th out of the, Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, even though we try and control guns through gun control laws, we are stymied in that and we still are uh, 
we should be much higher, much better in terms of not having gun violence based on that. Um, isn't, aren't the guns banned in the city of Chicago? No, that got overturned by the Supreme Court. No, there's a law, right? They got overturned. It did? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I go back to my rock, under my rock. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, the, the, the thing is people want to buy guns have cars. Yeah. And they can, yeah, they can drive 45 minutes to a gun store in Indiana where they can buy a gun without identification, without a permit, and without a waiting period. And at a gun show, and I know this for a fact, convicted felons go buy guns at gun shows all the time in Indiana. I lived in Arizona for seven, eight years, and anybody can get a gun there. I mean, you're 18 years old. You can go buy a gun, and you don't need a permit. You don't need to take a class. You don't need, like, nothing at all, like, not one single thing, which always scared me because I'm like, no one should sell me a gun. I have no idea how to use it. Like, this would be terrible. But, I mean, and yes, there are plenty of responsible gun owners in Arizona, and there are plenty not responsible gun owners in Arizona. But there's a whole lot of people. You walk around the Walmart, half the people have a gun on their hip. And I guarantee you that a lot of them do not have any training whatsoever. So should something bad happen, I don't think we want them pulling their gun and shooting it around either. <laughs> police police officers who are trained, who have to constantly go to the range, only hit, I think it's like one out of every nine times. Okay, I'm going I'm, I'm to change. Maybe maybe this is a little switch. Maybe it's not. Um, I didn't. I don't know much about guns. I, I, I don't want to own a gun. I'm sure that I would shoot myself before I would get somebody else like like you, Jennifer. Um, so, but I, I thought I should do some a little research on it. So this is a this is a paragraph that was written in an article by a evangelical pastor who was who was questioning the the connection between between Christianity and guns in many quarters. And so he says, whenever someone intentionally carries a deadly weapon, he or she must be ready to kill. That brought me up short. Um, and then apparently this is what they tell you. This, a military-trained firearms instructor explained it to me this way. If you're not ready to kill, you are more dangerous with a weapon than you are without it because it will likely be taken from you and used to kill you and others. I never thought of it. And, and then he goes on and he says, and I didn't think of this either, readiness to kill changes our disposition toward others because then you have to, you have to look at people around you and you have to, through a lethal lens, and you have to say, whom will I kill? When will I kill? For what will I kill? And, and, and I guess, I, and I hope that responsible gun owners, and I, I agree there are you know, lots and lots and lots of them, hopefully the majority of people, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that they think of those things, but those, those are never questions that ever occur to me, nor do I ever want to have to answer them. So at least for me personally, I'm never going to have a gun. Um, and I can understand how... That could change your view of others. Is there anybody that I'm willing to kill? Should there be anybody I'm willing to kill? And and does that cause me to think of them as less than? I I don't know. Well, it's funny you you brought. It's funny you bring it up. Me, um, my, uh, sorry, my father was a Chicago fireman. I grew up in a a lot of city workers' house, um, firemen and policemen in my family, and um, both my parents were gun. Uh, owners, but my parents had six kids. So at least two of my siblings at different times had accessed and used the guns as children, as little kids. You know, we grew up in the seventies. There was no gun safes apparently. Yeah. So, um, which is the reason I don't own a gun because I see, I saw firsthand how easy it is to 
be injured by your own, you know, versus the odds of somebody breaking in. It's just, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. It was, you know. but it wasn't, it wasn't so, yeah, certainly the, certainly the idea that somebody's going to take it from you and shoot other people, but it but, was the idea that I have to change. I have to change who I am and start looking at people differently. And, and I'm not willing to do that. Um, and that's just me personally, but mm -hmm. I, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I can't do that. I can't decide that there are some people that are worth killing. Not all pastors feel that way. <laughs> well, right. I, well, the, the other thing about having guns in the house is fully 50% of all firearm deaths are from suicides. Okay, guys, so where do we go from here? Where, I mean, Katie, you started out with some positive things that you thought we could do. Well, um, yeah, I think uh, the, the biggest message that I got from reading about this whole Sandy Hook Foundation was that be, be creative, be innovative, of course, but don't wait for someone else to make things legal or illegal on that. that and also, I think there's a lot to be said for chipping away at the problem in small ways rather than thinking something monumental is just going to change because there is no appetite for getting rid of guns in this country. And I can't imagine there will be in the new, near future, but there is an appetite right now for dealing with mental health issues. That's getting a lot of publicity right now. So I think, you know, on an individual basis, you can contribute to some of these organizations or volunteer for them or pray for them. Um, but I think it's more the small things you can do to chip away at this problem versus either wringing your hands and saying, all I've got is thoughts and prayers. Um, because I think that phrase has become something that is so negative now, because I think basically it says, I, I, that's it. I wash my hands of it. I'm going to pray, but I ain't going to do anything else. So I do like this approach of, of looking at the, the causes like if this is a mental health issue um, and, and maybe looking at some more practical ways to to look at uh, gun control versus just taking guns away, like mm -hmm. having the red flag laws, for example, where if someone is um, in the midst of some crisis, you take away their access to firearms. So I, I do think it's, it's something that small steps are, are needed. Yeah, I did like your point around the small steps, because even if I think you said that was in North Carolina where they stopped six school shootings and what was it, 300, 100 suicides. Well, if you think about that, that's one of 50 states. You do that in 50 states. And next thing you know, it's 300 school shootings and, and a lot of suicides, whatever that is, 5,000 suicides. So, yeah, I mean, it, it becomes a lot really fast. And, you know, if you just look at it little by little. I think the other thing is to make sure that we take some sort of action because, yes, while it has become in vogue to talk about there being mental health issues, nobody actually, well, I shouldn't say nobody, government doesn't seem to actually, they don't put any funding behind that or actually do anything. It's just, oh, it's a mental health issue. Well, that's fantastic. But if we don't do something, and maybe we don't wait for government, maybe it is small things that churches or local organizations or whatever can do, but it's important to identify root causes, but then to actually take some action on some of them. A lot of times we like to just identify them and be like, wow, that guy had mental health issues. So that's why. Okay. Well, that's not stopping the next guy with mental health issues from doing the same thing. So how do we start to effect change in that area? I think a lot of it begins at home. You know, you look at some of these people, you know, and I know we're kind of focused on 
these these mass shooters right now. That's where the conversation seems to be going a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at you look at Sandy Hook and, and Katie, you brought up Sandy Hook. You know, that that guy lived with his mother and she knew he had mental health issues, but yet she kept an arsenal at the house. And it's like, really? Yeah, but I had him locked up. Well, he killed her and then he got the keys and he took the firearms and went to the school. So it's like, I'm sorry. There's there, you know, as a parent or as an adult or we, we have to own some of this stuff, too. Like We can't wait for government to say, oh, let's open up a mental health facility for potential school shooters. You know, the, the one in um, Highland Park, you know, the father had some responsibility, too. You know, it's like, you know, your son has issues. Yet you buy him a gun. You know, what's wrong with you? So, you know, when we talk about these these mass shooters, I think there's some opportunities for families or responsible adults to to step in. And I think a lot of times we don't. We just say, oh, someone says a little little different. Mm -hmm. And then once they uh, once they take some action, we're like, oh, yeah, I kind of saw that. But, you know, I'm just, you know, you're you're absolutely right. And really valid. But in talking about school shooters and, and that being a thing, but that is a significantly small portion of what's going on. The article points out that 40% of gun homicides uh, occur within a 2% uh, portion of the population, which is uh, young young black men and teens. And it's overwhelming considering there are 300 gun deaths a day in the United States to consider how many of those, they're not school shooters. They're not, I mean, you know, they're, endemic to struggling areas, to uh, minority situations, to uh, problematic um, environments. So how do you address that? Mind if I take that? Go for it. You know, I I agree with what you say. And, um, you know, you listen to local news and, and, you know, you listen to this and they talk about gun violence. Mm -hmm. And that's a, in my mind, that's just a whitewashed phrase it's gun violence you know you talk about these these uh, poor areas areas let's say of the city of chicago it's it's gun violence but it's gang shootings and nobody calls it what it is it's gang shootings mm-hmm. that's it's over drug drug wars you know turf wars you know when you talk about these uh, these uh, do we know that I would say uh, I would. I don't. I don't think that's. I don't know that. I would. I will take. Okay, I'll go out on a guy who thought Chicago had a ban on. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, but Chicago does have. They have a shooting problem. Okay, there's a problem with with. There were four thousand people shot in the city of Chicago last year. So that's not a problem. No, it is a problem. But but I'm just saying, how much of that is gang related? I would say that a lot of the shootings in Chicago that are minority related. I'll, I'll. I, I know I don't have any any empirical data okay, to back well, me up, there we go. but I will. <laughs> but I will. I'll I'll go out on a limb here, and I'll 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 say that that's probably the most most of it. Okay. Well, and we can't argue with you on that since you don't have any empirical data. All right. I, I would say it's some of it. What do you think it is then? If it's mostly minorities and young men shooting each other, what do you well, think it so, is? But, but no, you're assuming you're assuming yeah. that it's mostly minorities and young men. Young men are being shot. Right. Yes. Young people ages uh, 20, 15 to 34 have a homicide rate higher, twice than twice the national average. Three out of every five homicide deaths are young, young, young adults. Okay. 
And how many of those are of I don't know. No one keeps track of that. But I don't think it's as high as you think it is. I think you're wrong. Well, but but that's, that doesn't tell you how much of it is gang-related. It was the gang-related jump that caused me to, to question. Right. We have, I mean, we we have can't a, assume that every every We have a massive gang shot. problem well, in the do, city of Chicago. We do, but I don't know that we can assume that every young man who shot is a member of a gang. I'm not don't, saying, don't we so, have gangs everywhere? We do. Yeah, we do. Okay. So, but a lot so, of them are centered in the city. So, Dennis, in, in, in this country, in the whole country— the leading cause of death for children and teens, so not infants, not newborns, was always accidents until 2020 when it became gun violence. So I think to say that something has changed in the country that you're going to attribute basically to gangs, I, that doesn't make sense to me. It's, it's so widespread that more kids are dying from gun violence where I don't know that the gang situation has really changed that much in Chicago in the last, maybe in my lifetime, honestly, I don't know. So I think there's a lot more to it than that. I'm not saying that that's not a part of it, but I think we have to look way more broadly at, at things because it's, it's, it's the whole country is being impacted by this. And, but to Dennis's uh, defense, you know, Focusing on um, any one individual facet, uh, whether it be school shooters or gang violence or whatever, doesn't cover the entire gamut, especially the gamut that we're talking about, which is as Christians, how do we approach this? What What is our go-to, our do-something on this situation? Yeah. And, and even yeah. if we are talking gang violence, I mean, the endemic reasons why we why kids are forced to to gravitate toward gangs is it goes back to the poverty and the you know the the racism and all the all the isms in our in our country that create a situation of of hopelessness mm -hmm. among so many youth. So so yeah, I guess okay. So if even if we ignore the the the, the statistic on gang violence, um, you're right in that um, we're still talking about those causes of gun violence that we need to address as Christians. And and how do we do that? We don't live, you know, we don't live in Chicago, but what can we do out here to make a difference? I, I think, uh, Dana, to your point, we're um, looking at our neighbors and looking out for our neighbors. I think one tiny step you do is you get to know your neighbors. And I think if you have a sense of community around you, it does make you safer. In, in some in, in respects. So I think that has become an issue, I think, in our society is often we do not know our neighbors. They are strangers to us. And then you are going to have more fear of, of strangers versus someone you know. Yeah. And you're not going to reach out to someone when you're in trouble if you don't know who they are. So I think getting to know your neighbors is a small, teeny tiny step you take towards making your neighborhood a little safer. That's a great point. That's something that the uh, the article also points uh, the um, document also points out as one of the driving forces behind the acceleration of gun ownership in the U.S. has been xenophobia among other causes. But knowing no. each other probably is is a great uh, great start uh, start. But of course, our neighbors aren't just the people who live in proximity to us. Um, all the people in Chicago are our neighbors. Everyone in need is our neighbor, mm -hmm. near and far. So, so I mean, that's a, I mean, it's a great idea, and you're right. It's, it's, it's not done often enough. I don't know my neighbors as well as I should. You know, maybe we, well, for those of us who are willing to travel, 
into the city, um, maybe we take it a step further and actually go and meet others, you know, that are different from us. And we will find, at least in the couple of times I've done this, that they aren't all that different from us, that they're very like us. They're, they're a lot like the neighbors who live next door to us. Um, they just don't live that close. And so the more others we get to know, the less they mm-hmm. are others. That's true. We hope you enjoyed this discussion and it will help you on your faith journey. Faith for All would like to thank Dennis Tenrakulu, Jennifer Berg, Katie Whittle, Jeff Wanderson, Todd Mazira, and Pastor Dana O'Brien for their participation in Fantastic Insights. And as always, we are grateful to John Yazardo for making us sound good. Come back next week for part two of God and Guns. Faith for All was created by Cross of Glory Church. If you'd like more information on Cross of Glory, please visit our webpage at crossofglory.com where you can learn more about the church, see our upcoming events, and watch previous services and sermons. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Everyone, and we do mean everyone, is welcome to join us at 9.30 a.m. each Sunday morning for worship on our website, Facebook, YouTube, or in person at 14719 West 163rd Street, Homer Glen, Illinois. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends, family, and anyone else you can think of about it. Faith for All is available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, or wherever else you find podcasts. Todd Mazera created our original music. John Uzardo engineered the sound. Jeff Wanderson handled the production duties. And I'm your friend and humble announcer, Andrew Morin. Thank you for joining us.